Hey, so it was important for me that before we started the episode, I took a moment to address what's happening in Ukraine right now. You know, this podcast is something I'm very proud of, and the series in general, and it's fun and it's a good time. But, you know, we are all citizens of this world. We are all people who have responsibility. And, you know, there are people who are suffering right now. It's awful. I mean, it's happening in real time. Um, I grew up um, here in New York and also in London. And because of that, I've gotten to know a lot of Ukrainian people just by virtue of being in, you know, very diverse neighborhoods. And um, I, I do know some people over there. And for the last couple of days, I've been in touch with them and making sure they're safe. And, you know, it, it's one thing to read something on the news. It's another to talk to someone and know what they're going through and to just have a very firsthand account. And it's, it's hit home in a way I wasn't expecting. And, um, which is important, to be honest with you. It's, it's how things should be. People are hurting, man. It's not, it's just, it's terrible. It's fucking awful. And because of podcast statistics, I'm aware that there are people from the Ukraine who listen to this quite actively, as well as people in Russia. And uh, for both people, I feel for you. I feel, Ukrainians, I feel for you in the most obvious of ways, but What's happening to you now should not be happening, and it's a fucking travesty. And I truly hope that you and your families reach safety. And for the Russians who are listening, I feel for you too, because, you know, it's come up on the series before, but governments are not reflections of their people. They should be, but they're not. And I know a lot of Americans will outwardly say that our own government doesn't reflect us, and it and I believe in that. So if I believe in that in the context of me and my government, I have to believe in the context of you and yours. So I do know Russian people who find this aberrant and just disgusting. And if you are Russian and you're listening, I, as difficult as it might be, I, I do hope you can take it upon yourself to speak out on what's going on, because what's happening right now in the Ukraine is a fucking travesty and shouldn't be happening. So please use your voices. And you know, within the description of this episode, I'll be linking some resources that you can look into to help the Ukrainians. I want to give a big shout out to Simon Green, aka Bonobo, who posted this earlier in the week. Um, big ups to him on that. And yeah, let's, let's do something because this is just, yeah, I'm just at a loss for words. But yeah, it just it was important for me to take a moment to, you know, say all this. And yeah, Let's get into the episode, shall we? Welcome to The New Exchange, a podcast series that explores how everyone has a story to tell. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and welcome to season four. Here we are in another new year that's filled with uncertainty, but it does feel like we're turning a corner in the face of this pandemic. Getting to do this podcast for the last year and a half has been such an unexpected gift during the most confusing time of my life. I mean, hell, all of our lives. But at the risk of sounding super cheesy, it was this very podcast that would make me feel better about the world. That would remind me that everyone has a story that we can learn from, regardless of the miles that separate us from one another. So with season four, the aim is to bring you more intimate talks with people I deeply respect. People who are constantly challenging their creativity, their approaches to work, 
and most importantly, people who are constantly challenging themselves. So here's the thing, in the world of podcasting, there are some set ideas of how you're supposed to do things. When it comes to intros like this, for example, the general rule of thumb is that you want to build up who a guest is before you say their name. But you know what? Fuck that. You saw the title of this episode, and you could tell by the tone of my voice that I'm excited. Today's premiere episode is with none other than Ricky Kishareway. He's an incredibly talented musician, producer, television host, and a true juggernaut in the podcasting space. Throughout the years, he's made a name for himself with podcasts such as The West Wing Weekly, Home Cooking, Partners, and most famously, Song Exploder. Yes, the same Song Exploder that also became a well-received Netflix show. I don't think it's a stretch to say that you can't be a modern-day podcaster and not feel an immense sense of inspiration and love towards his works, specifically to how strikingly informative and intimate his works always tend to be. And that's largely what today's chat is all about, not just the importance of how, but also the importance of why. Why do we do the things that we do, and why do we approach them in those ways? Along with sharing his process, Ricky Kish also chats about how podcasting has changed his life, collaborating with Yo-Yo Ma, and finding his voice again when it comes to music. Speaking of, you can catch him at South by Southwest on March 15th, along with a tour he'll be doing with the incredible Jenny Owen Youngs, starting on March 18th in Philadelphia. I'll be at the show at the Bell House in Brooklyn on March 21st. Do come up and say hello. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate and leave a review over at Apple Podcasts. It truly helps, and I'd massively appreciate it. This is The New Exchange with Ricky Kishirwe. Enjoy. So, people have just heard an intro where I said a lot of nice things about you, and... (laughs) And a big reason why is because I feel like in a lot of ways, if we could use like a Star Wars analogy, I feel like you're kind of like the Qui-Gon Jinn to my Obi-Wan Kenobi, if that makes <laughs> any sense to you. So you're saying I'm going to get cut down um, by Darth Maul? Yeah, but it's a very heroic death, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, the, the impact of that will have resounding effects for the rest of the series, so... <laughs> I think of you as a character whose death is really like a really important part of this story, of my story. Yeah, well, or, or the story in this thing that we call life. <laughs> um, you see, I'm not sure. I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels like you've become this great source of advice towards approaching podcasting. And I'd love to know, how has that felt for you? Because in a lot of ways, that's how we got to know each other. Like, how has it felt knowing that people trust what you have to say about this particular medium? That's so nice. I mean, I, I, I think one of the reasons why I really like doing it um, and what informs a lot of the way that I talk about it is just knowing that it was very recently that I didn't know anything about it. And, and so I don't feel like anything that I've learned is, is particularly like mine or something to be hoarded because, you know, I just got it. <laughs> you know, I just... I just learned some of this stuff. So if I turn around and then tell the person right behind me, like, hey, I just heard this from up above, you know, further along in the line, then that that seems right and and fair. And, you know, I've just learned a lot from people who uh, who were generous to me with their advice. So it only feels natural and fitting to try and emulate that with the way that I talk to other people. 
Yeah. And I, I feel like that's been a big thing I've noticed in regards to where you are now. It's almost like this element where, and I think it's very um, congruent to just what the medium of podcasting is, where because people are listening and taking so much of the words and the stories in the context of their life, it is interesting how you have to share yourself or share your opinions on things. But in an interesting way, it is kind of almost like an act of service or a form of service in regards to how you interact with people. You know, I, I think for most of uh, my life, I've been operating under kind of DIY ethics and, and principles. Like I came from um, sort of DIY punk music culture. And I think that this kind of idea of uh, everybody exchanging information and, and skills, um, that's where it comes from for me. I remember in college reading this manifesto, um, the Simple Machines record label manifesto. It was uh, these two women who had started the record label, Simple Machines, that laid out everything that they knew about starting a label. You know, from how do you get, how do you get records pressed? How do you get CDs pressed? How do you, you know, advertise in zines? It was all kind of based around the idea of punk culture, but also inherent is that in that was the idea that you didn't need anybody's permission to make something or to make your art and put it out there that like you could sort of create community on your own. You could, you could create, you know, art on your own music on your own. And I really, I, I just, that always resonated with me and I, I love that so much. And that has been as big of an influence on my music as it, as it ever was on my, uh, you know, podcasts, the podcast part of my life. So turning around and saying, Hey, this is what I learned just feels like it's in the spirit of, of that, you know, the things that I learned from, from, from DIY punk rock. Yeah, that, that very much speaks to me personally. And we're definitely going to be talking more about your music. Um, I got my start in just media in general through the DIY space, pretty much going to DIY shows as almost like a form of, uh, well, I was a college student, so I didn't have much money. And I got involved with that world and then started getting involved with the music industry from there. But I think that's a really interesting correlation because I feel like once you see what that space, the way it could operate, it is very unique as opposed to, I think, just, um, I don't know what in opposition to, but it just stands out in contrast to, I feel like, a lot of other places. Yeah. I think um, I feel similarly about podcasts as I do about music. You know, I, I'm not going to ignore the fact that big corporations exist and they're part of the the landscape, but I would love if everybody owned their own work and they, everybody was their own boss and everybody kind of could make their own creative decisions with as much freedom as they wanted. Um, yeah. So I think part of that, like wh that's the way that I see an ideal version of the world. And so, so when I'm trying to give people any advice or, any, you know, not even like advice, but just retell people things that I've <laughs> learned myself from people giving me advice, it's just kind of a way of uh, trying to bring that out. And tell me this, what do you feel it was that initially intrigued you towards podcasting? For me, it was the idea that you could share your thoughts in a way that felt both loose and structured in a compelling way. And I mean, it was a situation for me where I found myself intrigued by podcasts before I ever thought of doing it. I wonder what it was like for you initially. Well, in terms of making a podcast, um, what I really liked about it was I mean, it was specifically around the idea of music for me. You know, before I made any other shows, the idea of Song Exploder was um, just informed by the idea that here's a format that's in audio where people are mm. 
are telling stories and talking about their lives. And I thought it could be a way to have a kind of a real sort of show and tell format for people talking about music in a way that um, you don't get from reading a long form interview with someone in a magazine or on a website, even if they're talking about things that, I, you know, that, that get discussed in, in Song Exploder, like talking about their creative process and how they made something, you know, saying, oh, we did this with this particular instrument to achieve this particular sound because I wanted it to have this effect. You can talk about it and then you have to go back and you, you know, listen to the song and, try and point, pick out the thing that they're talking about. But a podcast was a way to really just juxtapose their words with the sound of the thing that they were talking about right there. So it seemed like the perfect medium for me. And it also just felt like something that I was used to working in because I you know, had been making music for, for so long and had Pro Tools, had a microphone, and you had to edit audio. It felt like it was close at hand as a resource. Yeah. And you know, it's amazing with that. I mean, naturally, we should chat a bit more about Song Exploder because, I mean, when you think about it, it's amazing how this podcast has, in many ways, changed your life. I mean, I, like, I'm curious to know, like, what's a specific way you feel that making this series has unexpectedly impacted your life on a personal level? Because something that I've garnered as a fan over the years is how you've been more capable of inserting yourself while still not taking away from like the overall stories where everything that's being discussed does come around to both the song and the artist that's being featured within the podcast but i mean i think this is an interesting thing to point out where people listen to also understand who you are or to feel like some form of connection i've known i've noticed over the years that maybe at the start that was something you might not have been i don't know this conjecture definitely correct me if i'm wrong i think at the start that was something you probably weren't as comfortable with as you are now yeah, I was absolutely uncomfortable with it. I mean, it was, and not just uncomfortable, I was sort of adamant against it. In the, in the very, very first version of Song Exploder, before it was called Song Exploder, and it was just sort of the pilot episode and an idea in my, in my head, I wasn't in it at all. Like, I didn't even do the intros or the outros. Um, I, I had the guests doing the intros and the outros. I would just ask them, I would say, we would say something like this, and then say something like this, so that I could use to, you know, they would sort of self-introduce themselves and the, what song they were going to discuss and then go into it from there. And, and yeah, the original conception was I would not, never be heard from. But then, uh, you know, when I, first, when I first started putting out the episodes, it needed some um, voice of authority. This was, this was advice that was given to me by Jesse Thorne, who had been in podcasts for a really long time. Um, he, he's sort of a... a Whoever comes, who comes before, probably John, before, <laughs> who's early, who's the, who's the, whatever, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was a, a gener he came at, at least one um, generation of podcasters before me, and he suggested that I, he didn't just suggest, he was like, you should have an intro and an outro, because it'll really help the audience to know that there's, who makes this, um, which was what my intention was. I was like, I just don't want them to think about who makes it. I think that I want them to just feel like here's this little artifact that, that they've come across and it's been made, um, you know, invisibly. So w once I got okay with that idea and, and, and allowed myself the, the chance to do the intros and the outros, I noticed there, there were just times where there would be a really great moment in an interview and I just didn't, I just didn't nail the interview enough to get them to say the thing that I wanted them to say without my context, without the context of my question. 
and, and so the first few times when I would put my question in there, I was like, this is, I, I was reluctant because it felt like I kind of blew it, but, um, but I needed to get there, what they said in there somehow. So I was like, well, okay, rules are made to be broken. I'm going to have to break the rule here and it's worth it. It's justified. And then, um, I, I actually really liked how that sounded sometimes. So now it feels like, okay, these are the rules, but I, I know that this is, this is a rule that I can break. Um, not just because I have to, sometimes I can break it because I choose to, you know, it feels like just one more, one more tool, one more way to kind of like tell the story. Sometimes it feels nice to kind of pull the camera back and you can see the edges of the set or something like that. Yeah. It just feels like a, now, now it feels to me like a creative tool and I don't work, reach for it very often because I think you can, it, it could be overused or it's just not necessary or not, not the right choice, but. But yeah, it's nice to to let my voice in a little bit more here and there. Yeah. And do you feel like that's kind of had an impact on, you know, going to the first half of that question, do you feel like that's kind of impact your day-to-day life at all outside of work? Letting myself into the episodes more? Yeah. Or just opening, because, you know, intrinsically, I should point out, like in the context of podcasting, like naturally there's things that we'll never hear due to the editing process. And I imagine naturally within that, there's probably times where you've had personal conversations with people and it just didn't fit in the context of that, but you still got to experience that exchange with another person. And if you just consider being a human being, that's kind of the bedrock of how we navigate life, being able to connect with other people. You know, I, I always dream that um, every conversation that I have on Song Exploder is going to forge some kind of special intimate connection with somebody what I've found most of the time is that it's usually it's even if I, the conversation goes really well, if the interview goes really well, it starts when they walk in or whatever, when we get on, uh, uh, when we start the conversation and it ends when the conversation ends. And, um, you know, that's just how it is. I understand people do a lot of interviews, but they're certainly very meaningful to me. There have been a few instances where the people who I've spoken to, have become friends or you know that we've had a relationship that extends beyond the confines of the interview uh and that's that's been really special for me oh, that's amazing that's the best thing that you can ask for uh, my background i don't think i've ever had a chance to share it with you but i come from a music journalism background and i was as you were talking there was so much that in the back of my mind i felt like i could relate to because my entry into the world of podcasting is i used to work for a british magazine and they started doing podcasting and asked me to do it. This is back in 2017. And I would essentially interview artists for long form pieces. And then it essentially turned into a podcasting um, approach. And I very much approached it the same idea where I was like, the aim of this is so directed to the people we're covering. So I basically should not exist. And I just kind of viewed it from a very editorial standpoint, but as it developed, it very much shifted. And yeah, it was quite a personal journey for me to even be okay with that as a concept. Yeah. Did you watch um, Almost Famous? Yes, I, I did. Um, I lo- my favorite scene in that is the conversation um, that, uh, that he has with, you know, with Philip Seymour Hoffman, with, um, with uh, when, when they're in the, when he says to him, um, the only true currency in this world is what t- two uncool people share with each other. <laughs> yes you know when he's, he's like the, the he's like because it's lester bangs right he's he's playing lester bangs and he says um uh these guys they're gonna make you think 
that you're cool and I've met you. You're not cool. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not cool either. And he's like, the only true currency in this world, bank, what is it? This, there, the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what two people share with each other who are uncool or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I believe that's what that is. Yeah, but it's amazing how after all these years, the truth of that tr does resonate even more so now than ever, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But so there is this sort of, there's a little bit of a tension for me because that's, um, there, there's like this differential between the rock critic, you know, the Lester Bangs and the band that, that he's talking to, um, that, that, you know, he's like, they're not your friends. You're there to do a job. And for me with Song Exploder, it entirely comes out of the idea of like, I wanted to make this as a musician. I wanted to draw on the instincts that I had about my own songs, which is I would love to pe for people to know more about where these ideas came from, where these sounds came from, what was going on in my life that informed all these things, and just getting giving people a chance to hear what the isolated parts of a song sound like. You know, these, these things that you spend so much time crafting and then eventually you, you, you mix them into the song, but individually there's like so much work that goes into them and so much thought that goes into them. I always wish that people could, that like every song sort of came with stems so you could hear yeah. <laughs> just like what the, what the, you know, hearing the uh, string section with everything stripped away, like it would be so beautiful and moving. I always wanted that for my own music. And so for me, making Song Exploder was really a chance to try and, frame something a, a story for for people who i i considered peers in some ways you know that it's like this is born out of an experience and a desire that i have and maybe you would have that same feeling too that may, maybe you know and i'll do the work of putting it all together but but it's to draw on this this idea and it's something that we can you know that i know that you can relate to um at some some level because i've had similar experiences but i think for the people who are actually coming in and having those conversations with me, they don't know me. They might not know anything about me or my background or anything. And so all of that context and all that background of who I am kind of gets lost. And they might see it again in this differential where they're like, oh, this is an interviewer. I am the interviewee. And, um, you know, <laughs> and sometimes that, that dynamic comes across. And the moments when I felt quite, when I felt really connected with someone and where, th where I felt like we've had a relationship past that, is when I felt like the person on the other side, the person that I was interviewing me, it was able to actually see me as a, you know, as a, as if not a peer, then at least something in, you know, coming close to that. Do you know what's really striking about what you said there? And um, I don't know if this has been shared with you by others, but I could say it's, it was my experience in the sense that I actually first heard of Song Exploder from other musicians, actually. It was a thing where I would be tasked with uh, spending a promo day with artists going all throughout New York City or sometimes Philadelphia or Boston, like other cities I'd be attached to. And then we would just be talking about things we're interested in. And I remember there was like maybe a three month period where this, the podcast coming up, kept coming up amongst different artists. And it'd be a thing where they would be sharing it amongst each their crew and their friends. And <laughs> I just remember finding that really intriguing at the time. This is like maybe 2016, I think, or something like that. That's really, that's so nice to hear. I mean, the way I got into podcasts was from being on tour. Um, because, you know, you're in the car for hours and hours and hours, and you can only listen to so much music. Um, you, you know, you're, you're playing music every night, you're listening to other bands, and then you get in the car and then you're listening to music and you're like, oh, let's listen to something else. 
And, yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's sort of how, how podcasts kind of started for me. I, I remember um, it wasn't even actually a podcast per se, but um, a friend burned a bunch of This American Life episodes onto uh, CDs for me and, and gave me like a little wallet of This American Life episodes. And oh, so wow. I, it was kind of like a proto podcast, you know, <laughs> I, I was listening to episodes on demand, but like on, on CDs. And, um, and that, that was something I used to do on tour with my bandmates. And it was a really nice way, you know, you're just driving, you're in this contemplative space, you're driving for hours and hours, your brain kind of is opened up to um, listening to other people talk. And so the idea that somebody would listen to Song Exploder on tour is kind of like a hybrid. <laughs> you, can, you can get a little bit of, you're still listening to music kind of, but really you're listening to a story from yeah. Susan. Um, so that, that makes me really happy to imagine that. That is truly beautiful. And, you know, going further into that, I remember writing you this uh, never ending wave of congratulations when the Netflix deal happened, because I mean, to me personally, it just felt like it made so much sense seeing the podcast become a visual show like that. And I felt like it even came across as close to what I would have ever imagined it, obviously different because of just, you know, people's different ideas and interpretations. But I mean, it was just so fitting. And the version exceeded, like, I feel like any expectations anyone could have had. How has it felt knowing that a podcast like Song Exploder also works within the context of a TV show like that? It's really nice for you to say. I mean, I, I'm really, it makes me really happy that you think that. I, I don't know that, um, I don't know that the jury is totally, like, the verdict has completely come in as to whether the uh, TV show works in the same way that the podcast does. I think that, you know, I, I tried, I try, I, I had to figure out what were the things that felt really intrinsic to what the podcast was and what were the things that I could let go of and what were the things that I could embrace about like what you can do in TV that are specific to TV. And, and some of those things are the same as what you can do in a podcast. And, and a lot of those things are, are different. But if the overall feeling for you was that, that it worked as well, that's that's the best thing I could I could ask for. Yeah, you know, and I mean this quite respectfully. In in the in the vein of what you were just describing, it kind of makes me think about like how you could have like theater actors in a blockbuster film, and in the vein of like how they approach um, acting, they're not always going to be able to embellish their theater thespian background, but there'll be blemishes and bursts of moments where that comes through. And I felt like in the show, there were elements where it did feel simplified, but you would still let people kind of like geek out and still kind of get into like their, um, you know, their minutia. Like I think of like someone like uh, Alicia Keys and uh, Dua Lipa and like Trent Reznor as well. Like I felt like those people, they, there were like these interesting moments in those episodes where you could tell that they were expressing their opinions on their own art in a way they probably weren't even used to doing. Yeah. I mean, I think the format, the thing that was really nice for me was the idea that um, it still felt, felt intimate. Maybe yes. it's because these people are, are such consummate professionals. But for me, I was very self-conscious of the idea of being on camera for this. And I was worried that the, that self-consciousness would prevent me from feeling like the interviews felt when, when I'm doing them for the podcast. But uh, every time we turned the cameras on and we recorded something, at the end of the interview, I would always be surprised by how much it felt the same, that, that at a certain point, the cameras kind of melted away 
and I did feel like we we got to have the same kind of conversation that we would have had if it were just on microphone. How amazing is that? Because it's like you could hope for that, but you're not. It's like you said, you're not going to know that until you actually do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I know I'm definitely biased, but I think the jury's out for me anyway. Like you did a beautiful job. I mean, just <laughs> and I mean, there's artistry within the show too. Like it is, um, because I, I I've worked in video production before, so I feel like I have this awareness to like when um just experiencing something from an eye level and the interpretation from mind, like when things can become boring. And I think it's really interesting how you have essentially this show where it's two people discussing something, and there were so many different ways you're able to make it visually compelling and appealing for the eye to follow all throughout oh thanks i mean that's definitely the the show was such a um collaboration between the other executive producer morgan neville who's you know an incredibly talented filmmaker who's been doing very exciting and experimental documentaries a lot of which in in the music world you know for 20 years and then um nicola marsh who was the who directed most of the episodes um, and myself and the other producers. And it was really, it was really nice. So, you know, I, I appreciate that. I can't take, uh, I can't take the credit for it. Um, I have to absolutely share that with, um, with the, those other people, because so many of those ideas came from people who had worked in TV and film for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'd want to ask you in the context of the show is that I initially brought up how it made sense to me once it was announced and when I saw that, but for you personally, did it like when, when you were approached or when you were in like the phase of pitching and all that, like in your, in your mind, did it make sense to you? Or did you almost have to convince yourself in a way? I did have to convince myself actually. Um, what, the way it worked was that a few years before the show came out, actually, I guess it was four years before the show came out. I started getting some emails here and there from people who were interested in adapting the show into a TV series. And I didn't see it at first. I, I didn't, it didn't seem like something I, I would be excited about. And I took some meetings anyway, just to see what it was kind of about. And, and I remember um, I went to one of the first meetings and they, they gave me this, this sort of PDF, um, a deck of, for, for, for how they would pitch the show. And they're like, here you go. Here's what it is. And it had like language about what the show was and all these images and stuff. And it felt horrible felt so wrong and I was like I don't like this don't want to do this this is not right at all and um I remember uh feeling really unexcited about about it I was talking to a friend of mine a little bit later um a friend of mine who is a director and and somebody who I've known for a long time somebody who um his name's Mike Mohan and he I had scored some of his films and he had directed the first music video that I ever made, you know, like years and years ago, um, a close friend of mine. And he had, he was making a show for Netflix and I was doing the music for it and we were talking about it. And, uh, and I was telling him about my experience with the, with this TV show idea. And Mike knows me really well. And I would say what, you know, <laughs> the flip side of what I was talking about before, that kind of DIY, ethic and, and, you know, need to be resourceful and um, desire to do things yourself has been a huge influence on me and a huge boon, I think, in, in me being able to actually make things. But if there's a drawback to it, for me, it would be that, like, sometimes I can only think about things in that way. Like, I immediately 
when when an idea presents itself, I think about it in terms of what's the thing that I can make on my own um, with the resources that I have. You know, what's the best version? I want to make it as professional as possible. I wanted to make Song Exploder sound like professionally made, you know, expensive show, even though it was just me in my garage. I, um, I, there was, you know, I wanted it to sort of belie the humble facts of it. But so I was thinking about the TV show in this way, and he, he knew it, you know, as I was talking about, like, well, what it could look like and what I would do and some of the decisions I was, I was going to make. And, and he was like, he was like, hey, just stop for a second and just, you know, Netflix spends hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars on, on TV shows. And if you make a show and it goes to someplace like Netflix, the way you could make it has, it could, could be completely beyond what you're talking about, like beyond the, the, the sort of pragmatic version that you're describing and, and you're envisioning. And he's like, why don't, why don't you just take a second and like think about what the show could be if the sky were the limit? If there were, you know, just free yourself from any kind of like, how, how can I actually make this? You know, what, what are any of the realities that you might be imposing on it? And I was like, all right, yeah, okay. And, um, and so I did that. And this was about like a year and a half of, of being into those conversations with other companies and people sort of saying like, hey, do you want to make this into a show? And then I did that and I re sort of did my own version of what that, that first company had presented me, that kind of pitch deck. And I was just like, okay. I'm just going to start with a blank piece of paper and start writing, like, what would this show be? I'm imagining, like, an infinite budget, and, you know, what does it look like? What does it feel like? And by the time I finished that document, then I was excited about making it. Wow. There's so many things to unpack there, but I think one of the most um, important things that someone could hear from that and take with them is the reminder that, I mean, people will talk all day about the importance of having a, vis a vision and the importance of that, but to have that vision challenged is another thing entirely. And like you said something that really stuck out to me when you said that you were viewing things um, pragmatically. I feel like that's a testament to clearly how good of a friendship you guys have, where I feel like for him to even feel comfortable in using that word with you shows how much he believes in what you're capable of. And I feel like a lot of times us as people, we need that in our lives because we can, you know, unintentionally limit our own visions. <laughs> yeah, he's... He's called me out a couple times in ways that are really meaningful to me. That was one. Uh, I remember <laughs> years earlier, he also knows how much of a perfectionist I am. And, um, and when I, he, he was working on this movie and I was going to make the music for it. But first, before we got to any of that, the movie had um, some characters who were in a band. And, and there was a scene. He had, written the, he had written the script originally with a song of mine in a scene, like it was in the screenplay. And then um, he decided maybe it would be better instead of, oh, he wanted to have the character actually like perform the song, the, the character who was in a band. But then we talked about it some more. And since it was a song that actually existed that like had come out, felt a little bit weird to have that character like playing a song and being like, oh, this is a song I wrote. But we talked about the idea of me writing a new song that that character would perform in that scene instead. And so that was what I was going to do. And uh, everything was set up. They were going to start filming soon. And he was like, hey, so um, for that scene, like, yeah, write, write a song. Write a song with this character. You know, I had read the script already. And, and he was like, write, if you can write a song for this character, that would be great. Great. Um, 
and I remember uh, we were getting closer to the to the production starting, and he was like, "Hey, so um, like just checking in, you know?" And I was like, "I was like, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about that song, and and thinking about what I'm gonna do." And he was like, "No, dude, we st- we film, we start filming. It is the first scene that we're gonna film, and uh, <laughs> you need to write something because." We can't, we can't start filming unless we have the song because he has to, he has to learn it. He has to be able to practice it. You have to teach it to him before we start filming. So all that stuff. Has, so the first thing that has happened is you have to write it. He's like, so he's like, so let go of your version of whatever the perfect thing is that you think you're trying to make and just write something. And like, like literally just like write something. And so I was like, okay. And I got off the phone with him and I sat <laughs> down, I sat down at the keyboard and I wrote something and I wrote a song. And I don't think I'd ever gone from I don't have anything to now I suddenly have a song <laughs> because someone <laughs> asked me to do it. It ne- had never happened to me before. I, and I'm usually somebody who takes quite a lot. He knows somebody, again, he, he knows me really well. He knows that, you know, it took me four years to make an album that it takes me a long time usually to do stuff. But he's like, we need to do it. And wow. I ended up writing this song and the song is called uh, Accidents. And I really, I'm really fond of it. I'm really happy. It ended up being... Um, really personal, even though it was about this, it's sung from this other character's point of view and it's it, within this context of this movie. It was the summer before I got married and I ended up basically writing my vows um, for my wedding in the context of this song. Um, huh. It's sort of, sort of a love song in the, in the context of the movie. And so I wrote this thing that has meant a lot to me and I wouldn't have written, it wouldn't have come out in that way if he hadn't just called me out. Like, don't be a perfectionist. Don't try and, you know, sit there paralyzed because of the thing that you're trying to make isn't going to be the perfect thing. Just do something. And it was, uh, it was a really valuable lesson. Wow. That is, I mean, God, so many experiences just wrapped up in that that you could take with you for the rest of your life. And um, <laughs> I feel like that's also a beautiful way to segue into a big thing I want to discuss with you uh, personally and also just in the context of podcasting because, um, I need to ask you about Partners, a podcast you made in association with MailChimp and Radiotopia. The series features two people, usually business partners, sharing intimate stories about their work. And I think what's so fascinating to me about this is that the episodes are a little bit over 15 minutes long. And I just, I love the fact that this series became what it is. I mean, each episode was short, but I felt like I, I might even share this with you a couple of months back, but I felt like I would get like, almost an hour's worth of information within each episode. And I just have to point out how insanely impressive that is considering what audio editing is and the way you have to splice things together. So, I mean, I've listened to this series multiple times and clearly every time I listen to it, I just still feel like it couldn't have been easy to just make it a reality. So am I right in thinking that developing this series was challenging for you, especially in terms of editing? Well, developing the show was, was easy. Editing the, the show is another thing, but actually, you know, like that is a show that is pretty much just a joy to make for me. I, I really, I really love it. And, um, and I don't know when this episode of your show is going to come out, um, uh, in relation to other news, but, but I'm, I'm working on a new season, um, of the show. Oh yeah. This should be is coming that- out at the top of March. Like I think like, I think weirdly March 1st, I believe, actually. Okay, I think that maybe it'll be announced by then. Otherwise, if not, you, you, you have the scoop on it. 
but I, I really love making that show because it's just it's just supposed to be just sort of uh nice feelings <laughs> you know it's a it, there the 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 idea came from i have for a long time been obsessed with the interstitials in the movie when harry met sally um mm. the the older couples i don't know if you remember in that movie besides the sort of main plot of the movie of billy crystal and um meg ryan getting together and fighting and all this stuff it's intercut with these uh, couples who tell the tell their story to the camera. They say, "Oh, this is how we met, and this is how we fell in love," and and they're incredibly sweet and and surprising and poignant. And I really love them. And they do this great thing of just like I don't know. They give this context to the idea of that like love love stories aren't necessarily straightforward, but they're telling them from this point of view of here they are at the you know they're they're all older couples. Here here they are years later. And, there's kind of a happy ending implied in those interviews. And I thought for a long time, I was like, you know, that should be a podcast. Like just that, just, just origin stories of, of couples. And then in, in, in 2017, I started working with MailChimp on, um, on this show, The Jump, uh, which is a, a podcast that Shirley Manson from the band Garbage hosts. They were starting to make original podcasts. And so that was one of their first ones. Um, and I really liked working with them. They were really nice and kind people, and they gave. And I felt like they listened to my ideas in a way that was really rewarding and and, and felt great. And I remember they they had said, you know, the jump was kind of an outlier in some ways because if they had any kind of mandate, you know, they were making all different kinds of pod podcasts. But if they had any kind of underlying mandate, it was to make content for their customers who are basically like entrepreneurs, you know, the people who use MailChimp as like for newsletters and things like that, all kinds of different people use it. But, but I think their, their main audiences are, are like business owners, small business owners. And so I was thinking about that and I was thinking, and, and, and I've, like I said, I've had this idea sort of in my head for a long time. And I thought, what if I could marry these two things and make a version of this kind of, uh, origin stories of, of couples, but do it in the context of, of business partners or, you know, d all kinds of different creative collaborators. But so many businesses are partnerships. And um, I don't know, wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be nice? In Song Explorer, I had done a lot of episodes where it would be, you know, two bandmates or it would be a producer and an artist. And they would be talking about their relationship, like the making of the song would involve an element of them talking about their dynamic and what they got from each other anyway. So I really loved those kind of two-hander conversations. And sometimes I would record them together. Sometimes I would record them separately and then cut them together so it made it feel like they were in conversation with each other. But that idea of just like the rhythm of two people's voices telling a shared story was something that I really liked at like a formal composition level too. But so the development process was really just the idea, like hearing that from them, remembering this idea that I had, and I turned around and I pitched them and said, "Would you be interested in this? Here's the here's the show idea. It's called Partners, and it's the origin stories of all you know." And they said yes right away. So I said, "Okay, great. Let me go and try and do it." And I I went and recorded a pilot episode of it, and I really enjoyed it. And I sent it to them, and they they loved it. And and so we're like, "Great, we're going to make a season of it." And I think it, it's just. It's really nice for me to kind of like take someone's stories and try and frame it 
you know, we do like, I usually, the interviews are usually about an hour and a half to two hours long and then try and turn those into this kind of, uh, yeah, little love story basically. God, I mean, I hear that and that sounds amazing to me, but it's like, I just, I guess maybe just from like a selfish level, it's just, it's wild to think about how much must be left on the cutting room floor. But the wild thing is considering how the series came out, it, Every episode sounded exactly what it needed to be. I mean, my favorite still is the David Diggs and Rafael Cazal episode. And it's mm-hmm. like the fact that there's like a hour and a half or two hour cut of them talking is like, I would kill to hear that. But it sounds <laughs> so perfect as 15 minutes. Like, <laughs> that, Yeah, the, the, it's funny because sometimes they I talk to people for longer and sometimes I, I get them for a shorter amount of time. But I found that every time I would do the edit, and strip out everything that I felt was unnecessary and stuff that like told the story. And I felt like I wasn't, I didn't get bored and I was, it ended where I wanted it to end. It always ended up being around 15, 16, 17 minutes long. I don't know what it is. I think it might just be my attention span or, or something, but um, yeah, I, I, I never felt like I was like, Oh, well I'm making this episode 16 minutes long, but really a 30 minute episode would be you know a more complete picture but i have to stick to this format or something you know uh-huh. there's no like set clock it just it just always felt like that's where it landed i was curious about that it's nice to know that there wasn't a mandate in that regard cuz i i think there is that good philosophy that a podcast episode i mean this definitely people could abuse it but it's almost the idea that it should be as long as it needs to be in regards mm-hmm. to an editing like a good general philosophy yeah I mean, the thing is, I with with all of them, I'm trying to tell, I'm trying to tell them a, tell their story, um, and there are just like a few beats that kind of happen, and it's, you know, I'm not thinking of it in terms of like three act structure or something like that, but there's there's a a beginning, the middle has has a lot of different sections, and then there's an end, you know, but but I try and go like, yeah, the beginning of the beginning, the middle of the beginning. Then the middle has, you know, two or three slices of, of pie and then, and then, mm-hmm. and then the end, the, you know, the middle has to have the, like the beginning has to include all the things that they thought when they first met each other. Like the, the, the beginnings are, I think are so interesting because it requires so much luck and circumstance for it to even happen. And then I, I also have to try and, um, I don't have to, I'm also really interested in trying to include all of the moments where there are problems in a partnership because like with those couples in Harry, when Harry met Sally you're hearing the story there you know we're hearing the story in retrospect so in some ways you know it's a happy ending because here they are they've done the podcast together they're yeah. telling this they're looking back and telling the story together and it's not this acrimonious thing where one person refuses to be in the room with the other person they're they're recording simultaneously so finding moments in the middle where you know, I think part of what I'm interested in in the show is like it's a little bit my chance to be a couples therapist, you know, <laughs> like like a armchair couples therapist without actually doing any therapy for them, but just being in the room and asking them, you know, these intimate questions of like. So because of that, I wanna I wanna know like what were the problems? What are the problems that you had to figure out? And so getting couples to tell me their getting partners to tell me their problems is a really um, wonderful experience for me because it just means that you get if they're open to it you can get these really like intimate portraits of of these two people in this you know shared context 
Yeah, completely. Um, I, I have a few more questions for you. Thank you for being so generous of your time. It's very kind of you. Um, you know, at the start of this interview, I mentioned how you've inspired me a lot. And again, I'm more than sure I'm not the only person who feels that way. And I feel a prime example of that could be found in the form of a recent TED talk that you did titled What You Discover When You Really Listen. And um, within that TED talk, you go through the journey of Song Exploder and what we can discover from pulling back the layers of a story. And it has to be said that the talk was particularly more intimate than most TED talks tend to be in. I implore everyone listening to check it out, especially visually if they can, because I know it also exists in audio form. Um, what I'd love to know is how did you feel both before and after you did the talk? Um, before I felt terrified and after I felt terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it was terrifying for a lot of reasons. I have not presented something like that um, before, you know, uh, with with a TED talk, you have to tell a story without notes for you know nine minutes, <laughs> ten minutes, whatever. I, I think mine was nine minutes. It's a long time to speak, um, and you have to memorize it without having it feel like it, <laughs> like you're reading something or that you're doing something from memory. So there was an initial challenge of just writing the thing. Like, what was my TED talk going to be about? How was I going to deliver that? And that took a long time. And then there was a performing part of it. And, and um, that was really hard. And then on top of it, the folks, the folks from TED said, you know, you, you've included examples, excerpts of this song that you made as a way to sort of demonstrate what Song Exploder is and what the lesson is from listening. Why don't you perform the song? We feel like the only way that this can end is with you playing the whole song. And I was like, oh, you mean like playing a recording of the song like I do in Song Explosion? Sure. <laughs> they're like, no, no, we're all about live experiences. So you have to, you would have to play it live. And I had not played a song live solo. I hadn't, I hadn't been on stage in that way, like performing music since 2012. And, and even that was like with other people, with other bandmates. I hadn't played a show just solo in so long. Wow. Um, so to get up there and to do it in that context where it's not like a, not like a music context. Um, yeah, it was, uh, as I said, it was just, it was terrifying, but then it, it happened and I, <laughs> I did it. And then, uh, and then I had this sort of terror of like, what's going to happen when it comes out because it, it all, it all got filmed at, you know, the conference was in August and then it didn't come out until mid October. And so for a while I was just, just sort of living in suspended animation, not knowing. Oh what the reaction would be. Ah, but I mean, I imagine, I mean, how have you found the reaction? Because I, I've seen some of it and I think it's a lines of how I reacted to it, where it's just, you know, there's something about seeing another person share so much of themselves in a way that's very um, contained that just almost like, um, you know, to use another movie reference, it's almost like breaking the matrix a bit. And, and the, there's the, the general minutia of day-to-day -day life. It's kind of like, you see someone share something they've been through and it's like, oh my God, that's, we're all people. It's like a reminder that we're all human. <laughs> like, uh, I'm sure people have shared that with you. That's really nice of you to say. I think, um, yeah, it's, I've heard from, from a few people who have reached out and told me about stories of loss in their own life or, or just told me that the, that the talk connected with them and meant something to them. And um, that's incredibly meaningful for me because you know you never know when you put something out into the world if anybody's going to connect with it at all so 
yeah, hearing hearing from people that appreciated it made it feel yeah, made it feel like it was worth <laughs> living in fear for so long. Yeah, and uh, before we close, I want to ask about ask you more about the song that you performed at that TED Talk uh, between there and here, um, a song you released last year, which also features a stunning collaboration with Yo-Yo Ma. And the story of the song is about a dream you had of your mother shortly after she passed. And, you know, of course, truly sorry for your loss, man. Um, that that when you talked about that, that did deeply affect me in, in the way you talked about it. And, you know, I truly have no words to describe this song in the sense of just like the way it made me feel when I heard it within that context and the recorded version. And it's one of those songs that you really do treat as a companion in the context of your life. Um, mm. And one of the things, the thing I want to talk to you about in terms of this question is um, within that TED talk, you describe how songs are like houses and can feel like windows of houses that you're looking into. And that is very true. As a music fan, I could definitely relate to that. But I mean, hand on heart, I have my hand on my heart now. This song feels like a door more than a window. It feels like a door that leads to a room where you can experience something very raw and honest. And again, that's such a special thing to have in life. So yeah, thank you for that. And um, yeah, so a big thing is Yo-Yo Ma's cello is meant to represent the experiences you've had of your mother humming your songs. You mentioned that in the TED Talk. And what you didn't talk about was how it made you feel when you heard it back for the first time. So that's what I want to ask before we wrap, along with how did hearing this part shift or evolve how you even viewed the song? You asked me earlier, um, and I don't think I answered it, about how, song, how making Song Exploder has affected other parts of my life. Yeah. Um, or, or if it has changed my life. And I guess I, was, I, start, I guess I kind of was talking about the idea of m making friendships outside of the, the context of those interviews. Yo-Yo Ma is one of those people, you know, I first met him through the podcast. I mean, he's been a part of my life. Like I've been hearing his music and um, for forever and uh, the, my, my entire life. But I got to meet him. He actually came to my house for, for his Song Exploder interview. And wow. um, he is just the most incredible person. He's just so sweet, so generous in his spirit. And we, I had a wonderful time talking with him for the episode, but also just sort of like being around him. He's a really like very generous person. When he came over, he knew all this stuff about me because he had looked me up. He, he like did research on me because, because later his, his team managers told me that like, yeah, he likes to know who he's talking to. So um, even wow. though it was our first time meeting, he knew, you know, where I was from, where I'd gone to school, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> um, and it was great. And I felt like it did help us have a better conversation. And then um, because of that, when I started doing the home cooking podcast in, in the pandemic, he was someone who I thought would be an interesting guest because he, he is this incredible musician, you know, um, the greatest cellist in the world, possibly, uh, probably. and. Um, and yet he loves to talk about things outside of music. You know, he, he comes into the world through music, but he, he really wants to talk about everything. So anyway, he, he just seemed like the kind of person who, uh, would engage with the idea of like, how do we find joy in these different things? He would get it. We had a great conversation with him then. And then I got asked to moderate a conversation 
for an event, I got asked to moderate a conversation between him and Questlove. And before the event happened, his team reached out and said, hey, you know, he would love to talk to you again um, before, before the event. And I thought it would be sort of to just like run through what my questions were going to be as a moderator and sort of get him up to speed. But actually, he just wanted to chat. He just wanted to catch up. And, and it was so nice. And he, um, he asked me, you know, I was trying to tell him about what I was going to ask him. And he just kept turning the questions back around on me and asking me, like, what do you want? What are you looking for? What is, what is your, what is your dream for yourself in five years? All these kinds of things. And, and, um, and so one of the dreams I told him about was my dream to get back to making music, to writing my, writing and performing my own songs again after having taken a long time off because of the time and creative obligations of making Song Exploder and um, how it was so much easier for me to constantly push off this desire to make more music of my own because it felt indulgent in comparison to the idea of trying to be of service to someone else's story and, um, and, and being able to say, hey, instead of being like, well, maybe I'll spend nine months working on a song of my own and who knows if it'll come out and who knows if it'll be any good. Well, I can spend the next four weeks working on an episode where I know it's going to come out and I'm going to be helping to tell this person's story. And he said, uh, well, let me ask you if you, you know, if you, uh, I know you play, you have a cello there. He, he, you know, he was, we were talking about over Zoom and he could see my cello in the background and he'd seen it. He'd played my cello when he came over, which is wild. Um, oh um, and, and he was like, if you wrote a song, would you consider writing? What? He's like, what if you wrote a song and, and, and maybe you could consider writing a cello part? And if you wrote the cello part, maybe you, would you let me play it? And I was like, uh, what are you talking about? Like, you haven't <laughs> heard my songs, you, you know? And he said, um, because then that way you would have an obligation to me. Huh. And it was uh, the most incredible life-changing gift wow. that somebody, somebody could give me um, because it gave me this permission to think about my music in a way that felt like I was, I, I don't know, that I was, I did, I did feel this sense of obligation. And, and I wrote that, I wrote that song um, about my mom and I had this idea of her humming. And then I thought this could be the part, this could be a part that I could ask him about. Um, in March of last year, um, I sent him the music, I sent him the arrangement and, and, and we had a, a really long talk and he had an engineer who was connected via Zoom controlling his mics. <laughs> remotely. And, um, I told him the story of what it was all supposed to mean. And he was, um, he, it was incredible. He was, he was like, this is really meaningful. And I really appreciate you. He was like, being like, Oh, I'm grateful to you for giving me this chance. I was like, what are you talking about? You're Yo-Yo Ma and you're playing on the song. And then he, you know, and then he played through it and it was amazing, you know, cause I had had it. I had had a version of it recorded in MIDI on my computer, which is obviously never going to sound like any real cellist, but then let alone have to have him play it. And so he recorded it four or five times. And I was like, this is great. And then he was like, okay, so we've done it. We got it. Um, now, you know, what are your notes? How, how should I do this? <laughs> and I was like, what are my notes? Um, and then I was like, okay, I guess if you, you know, I was like, if you could have more vibrato on this note, and maybe if you would want to like 
do a sort of portamento slide into this note and out of this note. And he was like, okay. And he like wrote his little notes and then he played it two more times. And I was like, yeah, that's incredible. It was one of the, it was one of the highlights of my life. That is just in so much of what we've discussed. And I love knowing that I had a feeling this would be the case, but it's been a gift talking to you to see that you've had these experiences that have not only impacted your life, but have had resounding effects afterwards, which I think it's important to have an awareness towards where it's like, we're just accumulation of our experiences. And look at that. Like what, like what even like you were like, you were cracking up as you were recounting that story. And it's like, as you should, it's like, it's almost like, how did I get here? Yeah. That's, that's how I feel a lot of the time. <laughs> Both when things are good and when things are bad. <laughs> Uh, I am truly so um, glad we got to do this. I feel so privileged. Truly, thank you for this. I, I thank you for having it. me. Thank, thank you for, for reaching out originally on Twitter. However many, gosh, was it a, two years ago? I think two years oh, ago. I think it was yeah. like weirdly right before the pandemic or a little bit after, but yeah. Yeah. Um, well, th thanks, thanks for reaching out and, uh, and I'm so glad we got to talk. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for checking this out. Be sure to subscribe to The New Exchange via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you stream podcasts. Until next time, thank you for listening.